Welcome to Looking at Lucasfilm with Brian Gaughan, the podcast with a different perspective on the world of Star Wars, Indiana Jones, and all of the other entities that George Lucas, Kathleen Kennedy, Dave Filoni, and John Favreau, as well as the rest of the team of Lucasfilm, have dreamed up over the past 40 years. I'm entertainment writer Jim Hill, and my co-host Brian Gaughan and I are recording this week's show on Sunday, October 22nd, 2023. Brian, when this podcast posts on Wednesday this week, October 25th, we are just six days out from Halloween. Spooky season is upon us. And we previously discussed, you decorate the house, right? Yeah, I I put out, um, I have the inflatables for Mm -hmm. uh, Nightmare Before Christmas and Mm -hmm. also the Mandalorian with Baby Yoda. But I've been a little late this year because it's been too hot to go out there. So I have one three foot tall jack mm-hmm. hiding in the corner behind mm-hmm. some bushes and people think i've lost my mind so <laughs> <laughs> i gotta put up the rest of them probably this weekend okay. or or not weekend but um probably this week but it is the the neighbors are coming by they're knocking on the door and they go is brian okay do we have to have a care check is something going on well, what's nice about that is they've come to rely on you and your your holiday decorations. I know. So I have to go out there and, and give the people what they want. There we go. That's all we ask. But it does make me feel good, too. I just, I love them. And it's so, it's so weird how every year um, now Disney is putting out more and more elaborate things to, to put out there. Coming up fast alongside the Nightmare Before Christmas stuff, which, by the way, this, this is the 30th anniversary of the release of uh, mm-hmm. Nightmare this year. In fact, they're doing screenings of it this weekend around the country. And at the El Capitan, where I saw it the day it opened. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, it was great. By the way, also celebrating its 30th anniversary is Hocus Pocus. In fact, yep. to see all of the yard stuff that's being done for that. In fact, Nancy just bought a Binks plush cat from oh, cool. uh, Shop Disney, which, by the way, we'll be talking about in a moment. But anyway, in honor of, of spooky season, uh, the folks over at Lego Star Wars have just released three brand new Halloween-themed shorts. And if you go over to YouTube right now, you, you can catch them. There's one where Baby Grogu gets in the trick-or-treat spirit by pranking Mando <laughs> while, while they're visiting Pelimoto's hangar at Mos Eisley, which I, I thought was fun. You also get to see the Emperor and Darth Vader get spooked by a, a kind of too-close encounter with the Sith Witch of Mustafar. And then there's a short, this is the one that wrestling fans are, are going to enjoy. It's a stormtrooper putting together a super tricked out mech outfit <laughs> so he can then go toe to toe with a certain Star Wars villain. But anyway, these Lego Star Wars shorts are indeed short. I think the longest one is just three minutes long, but they are definitely charming. And they're, they're showing them on YouTube? It's not on Disney Plus? Well, no. They're on the Star Wars, uh, Lego oh, okay. Star Wars channel over on YouTube. Okay. Yeah. But again, speaking of charming, <laughs> did you see that playtest footage from Disneyland Park this past week where the Imagineers trotted out? Well, I think they're calling them the BD-1 style droids. I just saw a quick thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. they were just, they surprised a lot of people, didn't they? Well, yeah, because, and I mean this in the kindest possible way, because remember when we first saw the concept art, 
for Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. I mean, it showed happy little children interacting with droids and costumed Star Wars characters. And then they, they actually opened the lands in 2019. And hey, where are the droids? Right. And now, mind you, there was a droid on the Galactic Star Cruiser, and we'll get to that in a moment. But it was just one of these things where there were safety concerns and operational concerns. So if you looked at the pavement inside of Black Spire Outpost, there were all of these impressions of droid tracks. You know, they, they had right. gone through and textured the pavement to suggest that, oh, you just missed the droids. These three walking characters called Blue, Greeny, and the Orange One, and that keys off of the color detailing of each of the individual robots. The footage shows them being uh, strolling around portions of the marketplace on Batu. They make a stop at the droid depot to visit with their compatriots before they then march backstage. And they're cute. They stand on two feet. They kind of move like ducks or, or, or chickens or that sort of thing and <laughs> and as we just mentioned just like with the lego star wars celebrate the season halloween shorts if you go over to youtube you can watch the footage that was shot in the park of this these things marching around and they'd be a lovely addition if that's what this play test results in if you watch the footage of them marching in from backstage you can then see the three techs, you know, that are, are manning. Oh, are they walking behind? Well, they have to. Yeah. Because, again, they have to have clear line of sight to prevent, you know, a child from hurting itself or that sort of thing. So it's it's going to be a big ask if they do do this. You know, they're going to need the support teams to be with the droids in addition to the cast member that sort of behaves in character. So we'll see what happens there. But anyway, we were just talking about the Galactic Star Cruiser and how on that ship there was SK-620. Uh, that was the astromech that actually played a pretty big part in the storyline that their interactive guest experience guests had on their two-day-long cruise aboard the Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser. And this 100-cabin cruise ship on land had its last official voyage September 28th through the 29th. But, Brian, have you seen the stuff that's been bubbling up since then? All of the chatter about how the Halcyon may fly yet again? Didn't you and Len talk about that? We have. We have. But what's been interesting is more and more people who actually booked passage after they announced that the uh, that Star Cruiser would be closing May 20th of this year. Disney has deliberately selected those folks to talk to because they were the ones who when push came to shove and oh it's going to close and i'm going to miss my shot were willing to pony up the five thousand dollars to get on board and so a lot of the folks who book passage on the halcyon during this period have since received surveys pretty lengthy surveys i might add and those who've been kind enough to share the questions they received with myself and len the questions ran along the lines of what was your favorite part of the cruise? And if we were to offer a cut-down version of Galactic Star Cruiser, the, the experience, what would you want to see included as part of that experience? Maybe the last voyage of the Halcyon wasn't actually the last voyage of the Halcyon. Now, now there's a lot of stuff that has to happen first. Galactic Star Cruiser was deliberately shut down before the start of the new fiscal year Right. for the Walt Disney Company. And this resource 
will have to be depreciated. Uh, the accountants will have to wait in and figure out what the tax hit is. And it's very likely we will see no movement, hear nothing official about anything involving the Halcyon till the start of the next fiscal year, the 2024 to 2025 fiscal year at the Walt Disney Company. And that doesn't start till October 1st of next year. Well, they, they have it there. Can they make it a day experience? You go there and it's like a restaurant. And if people want to spend a night or two there, they can. Can they do something like that and not make it the big production it, it was? The problem with that is the Halcyon was deliberately built close to the studio. So they could offer that, you know, we're taking a shuttle down to the surface experience. The box truck. But again, remember, this is a hundred cabin hotel right. and it doesn't have particularly high occupancy and again it's kind of a five minute drive to and a five minute drive back to black okay. spire outpost so there are operational challenges doesn't mean they can't be surmounted it just seems a waste that this thing is never been done before and the people who want to see it i mean you would have gone back wouldn't you have I have great appreciation for the cast. They were amazing. The physical plant had some absolutely wonderful aspects to it. When I'm not being a loudmouth talking in front of you know a microphone for numerous podcasts, um, I'm kind of an introvert. And it was like, and in fact, it was okay. inter interesting. Chrissy Len's sister went with him on the very same voyage, the, the, the inaugural cruise on on the Halcyon, and she talked about the fact that. She initially had trouble interacting with folks. It just it wasn't a comfortable experience for her to walk up to the captain and chat with them and get a piece of information. And in fact, the moment that I, I must have been, I think I was maybe five or six hours into my cruise, and I went into the bar and this, there was this lovely father and daughter in there at the bar, and they were like, Jim, sit down, have a drink. And at that point... The, it was literally SK-620 that kind of rolled up to the table. And it was one of these things where it's like, what's that doing here? And it's like, oh, <laughs> we're hiding it from the First Order. And it's like, what? <laughs> you know. And it's like, uh -huh. it was the father and the daughter that laid out the storyline that they were on on the ship. And while we were sitting there, the captain walked up to the table and, and oh, hello, SK. And it's, you know, and then started chatting with the father and the daughter. And it was a more, once she realized from the chat which side they had come down on and they were supporting the rebels, she, she the captain actually gave the three of us a mission. And it's like, I need you to do this. I need you to go down wow. to the loading dock. We have a piece of cargo I need your help with. And so we went down to the loading dock and it turns out that the piece of cargo was Chewbacca. You know, and it was just sort of like, you have to help us hide him. And it was just, and that's how I got sucked in. It was the little droid so, so rolling up they, to me. they pulled you in mm -hmm. screaming and kicking to be involved. <laughs> in my job, I get more stories by hanging on the wall yep. and listening and observing than I do inserting myself into situations. You know, there's a classic mistake that people make sometimes when, when then they work in the entertainment industry and that, that they assume they're the smartest one in the room. And it's like, oh, right. God, no. You know from all of your time with, in fact, later in today's show, you're going to share some wonderful stories from folks you actually worked with 
on you know various films and TV shows and projects of the park and that sort of thing. But they're the one with the stories. You know, it's just like you have to actually learn to shut up and listen. And, and speaking of shutting up, you know, we have lots of news we can get to cover here, folks. So we'll get to that in a moment. But just want to remind you that the news portion of today's show is brought to you by Touring Plan's own travel agency. So if you're thinking of heading down to Walt Disney World in the not-so-distant future, those obviously knowledgeable folks will help you plan your dream vacation. They'll even toss in a free subscription to Touring Plan's. If you're planning on visiting Central Florida sometime soon, please check them out at touringplans.com backslash travel. So... Just talking about Halloween, uh, I was at my local Target this past weekend, and at the very back of the store, they're, they're already setting up the Christmas stuff, but I mean, it's just, it's behind the Halloween stuff, and I would imagine it's got to be one of those Disney World-like transformations. You walk out of the Magic Kingdom one night, you know, where the place is plastered with pumpkins, and then you come back to that very same theme park the next morning, and it's suddenly strewn with tinsel and holly, and if you've got a Star Wars fan on your holiday shopping list and have $500 to spare, have I got a gift suggestion for you. Shop Disney just began offering this past Friday a life-size, and when I say life-size, it's three foot, one inch tall, but it's a, it's a life-size recreation of Wicked the Ewok from Star Wars Return of the Jedi. And Brian, you have to take a look at this thing. It's a plush collector's figure, which, by the way, was produced to help celebrate the 40th anniversary of the release of Episode Six, But it weighs 30 pounds. Wow. But this Ewok comes with a simulated leather coat and a molded plastic eyes, nose, and mouth. And, okay, you're, you're Jack that's lurking behind the bushes. Right. How, how tall is he? He's three foot, which is really weird. It's strange to see a three-foot Jack... Because, as you know, they're, they've got the, um, and one of my neighbors has it, the, oh. the 13-foot jack. Yeah, it's creepy. The animatronic one? Yep. The, uh, okay. Yeah, it is It is really creepy. And he's got a 13-foot mm -hmm. skeleton next to it. A couple of places around here have got those. And yes, they're impressive. But I also look at how you have to stake that thing down to keep it yeah. safe. Because I would imagine if a 13-foot-tall skeleton fell on you, that would be painful yeah. and possibly involve a lawsuit or two. Well, we all have um, our front yards mm -hmm. are as uh, take as much space as the houses do mm -hmm. in Pasadena. So um, unless you're trespassing on the lawn, you, mm -hmm. you know, you'll pr be pretty safe from it. No, I get that. Okay. Yeah. But that's what I've always loved about Pasadena, you know, just so many of the craftsmen homes and just, that was when California wanted to be pretty. Okay. I'm looking at the Wicked. Yep. And it looks like a zombie. <laughs> it looks like Walk of the Wicked Dead. All right. Look at those eyes. Oh my gosh. He's got no life in those eyes. This is the part where I make you go back and actually watch the footage from, okay, I'll watch from the, the footage. original, you know, Return of the Jedi. Okay, you're right. They did look like little, well, little um, didn't creatures. They go back in. Wasn't that with the special edition? Wasn't that one of the things they put in? They actually made the eyes blink because they did look oh, kind right, of right. dead <laughs> like teddy bears back in the day. So. Anyway, speaking of, of Return of the Jedi, I mean, 
Do you think we're ever going to go back to Endor? I mean, I know, I want to say actually for one of the the Star Wars Lego specials, they did supposedly go back to Endor. I, I, I want to say it was uh, Leia and Han who took Ben back there. Yeah, were they were they there for a, a, a vacation or something? That's it, exactly. That's yeah. it, exactly. And then Ben steals the Millennium Falcon. There we go, there we yeah. go. It's a lovely family story. But face it, remember, we have that new Star Wars movie that Charmaine Obedechino is supposedly has in the works, the ones that... That's supposed to be set 15 years after Episode Nine: Rise of Skywalker, and reportedly has Rey supervising the training of two Force-sensitive kids when it comes to the ways of the Jedi, and Season 2 of Star Wars The Bad Batch. We got to see a Wookiee that had been trained yeah. in the Force, so now why not an Ewok? Hey, if they want to make merchandise, we'll fly off the shelves, oh. you know, to have some kind of new um, Ewok, Wait a you know, minute. character. I mean, you know, isn't it about the merchandising sometime? Hang on, hang on. I have to check something here. This is okay. why Google is a thing. I think there may already be one of these. Oh. Mm, yeah, there's kind of another blue teddy bear in there. Oh, yeah, that's from yeah, that's from the, the Jedi Adventures, right? Right. Okay, he's got fangs, though. I mean, that could... I don't know. <laughs> we'll do some more homework and get back to you folks on that one. But anyway... Back to that new Star Wars movie, the one where Daisy Ridley is supposed to come back. And there's a, a name's leaked out. And supposedly it's Star Wars A New Beginning, which I have to say, if that's really the name of this new uh, film. Two on the nose. There we go. There we go. But speaking of new beginnings, you have to have seen in the past week or so that, that interview with, with Matthew Vaughn, the director of Kick-Ass and... X-Men right. First Class, where he talked about what he'd do if he were given the chance not just to make a Star Wars movie, but to perhaps revisit the original trilogy. Yeah, yeah, no, no, I, I saw the bits and pieces mm -hmm. that um, he was talking about it, and um, I didn't get the reaction. Um, did you, did, were people losing their minds over what he was saying? Not Really? I mean, I, okay. I think it was one of the things where he admitted, like, look, people would say you're an idiot to try, but that idea excites me. And why is it that the characters, the Star Wars characters from 1977 are so hallowed that you can't redo them for a new audience? And he then right. went on to say, that's what Disney wants, after all, a new generation of Star Wars fans to embrace these characters. And as for the old generation of fans... If, if you do these remakes of the original Star Wars movies well enough, that uh, hopefully the older generation of fans will enjoy them too. And I can't necessarily get all that negative about that sort of reasoning. I mean, look, I like what Paramount has done with the new set of Star Trek films that they've released theatrically. I think they're called the, the Kelvin period films. Right. Likewise, I have to say the limited series like... Star Trek Discovery or Star Trek Strange New Worlds, where they have different actors playing different versions of already beloved characters. I've enjoyed those. A lot. I think Strange New Worlds is one of the best series, um, Star Trek series since the original. The writing seems like very um, much the same. And I love it that Captain Pike has got, actually has a kitchen in his, in his room. Not only that, he showed how to make another meal out of leftover spaghetti. 
So I paused it. I mm-hmm. went to the kitchen. I had leftover spaghetti. I did what he did, like a, a carbonara type of thing. It yeah. was delicious. Okay, now I got to watch this episode. Okay. Yeah. I do have one request. If it happens, if Matthew Vaughn does get the opportunity to revisit, you know, the original trilogy, uh, just look, no more Death Stars or, or planet killing giant weapons. Okay, Saw it in New Hope, Saw it in Return of the Jedi. Saw its prequel in Rogue One, uh, you know, saw that the next generation and The Force Awakens, not to mention its cameo in Star Wars Andor. We need a new galactic threat, all right? Something along the lines of Publishers Clearinghouse, you know, just, just something <laughs> different. I, I, that's all I'm asking. Well, isn't that the, the basically Thrawn is going to be something different? Okay, all right. Really smart guy versus giant... He's super laser that shoots through space. I can get behind that. Oh, <laughs> by the way, we were just talking publishing. There was some Star Wars comics news that came out of New York cool. Comic Con just this past weekend. Marvel Comics announced after 42 issues, its Star Wars Bounty Hunter series is coming to a close with the final issue of this four years in the making saga hitting newsstands in January of 2024. But the good news is... Marvel Comics is launching a brand new Star Wars-related series, one that it's fairly certain fans will embrace, and this new book will follow the adventures of Jedi Master Mace Windu. By the way, Samuel L. Jackson has made it known to the folks at Lucasfilm that he'd love to play this character again, and the folks at Lucasfilm were like, oh, wait a minute, uh, Revenge of the Sith, you fought with the Emperor, you know, got zapped by hand lightning, and then blown out a window of the Galactic Senate building, falling umpteen million floors to whatever. Okay, well, um, the Emperor fell down a, a thing. Darth uh, Maul mm-hmm. got cut in half, mm-hmm. and he came back. Yeah, don't people come back all the time? Well, that, it, it's so interesting you say that because cause Samuel L. Jackson, and I'm trying to find a, a family-friendly way to say this, oh. <laughs> but he said, well, you know, Mace is a, a pretty tough uh, MF, you know, and so it's like, I'm sure he came through that okay, so uh, perhaps you, you're right, perhaps he, he will in fact come back, but, but let's be honest, sometimes when an actor comes back to play a once-beloved character... The audience doesn't necessarily come back to the theater to see him, to embrace him. In case in point, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Oh, oh, by the way, did you see we finally actually have a release date for the physical... uh, Oh, no, I didn't see it. December December 5th of this year. Now, people are now asking, okay, so we know that. When does Dial of Destiny show up on Disney Plus? And so... Reached out to friends at that subscription streaming service, and they said the folks at Walt Disney Studios Home Entertainment would like to sell a few hundred thousand copies of that James Mangold movie before it shows up over here. So they're saying January of next year, more likely February, because Disney's making deals with retailers around the country in regard to right. what gets placed in an end cap during the holiday season. You know, so the whole notion of, hey, we're going to give you a pile of Dial of Destinies that you you get to sell, and oh, oh, by the way, you know, after just four weeks, it shows up on Disney+. Plus. 
that's not going to cut it. With what is happening at Targets and and Best Buy, are there going to be any retailers that are going to be selling DVDs? That's the Disney argument. Like, yeah, it's a DVD. Yeah, it's a Blu-ray. But it's Indiana Jones. You know, there's going to be a lot of people who, you know, they won't necessarily stop. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, there's a pile of DVDs over there. But on the other hand, if it's an end cap that has Harrison Ford as Indy, on the right. top of it, it's like, oh. The argument is, yes, we are in the death of the dinosaurs days of physical media, at least as far as big box retailers are concerned. But there will be special items during that period. In fact, it's kind of the same thing with the Taylor Swift era's tour right. film that's in theaters right now. Retailers are already, you know, to the effect of when is that coming? When will that be available in Blu-ray? And boy, will we put that on an end cap. Yeah, and even Costco will have a display of you you know, that DVD. Yeah, you're right. There you go. And the other thing also is what's special about Indy is, for example, in conversations with friends at home entertainment, they're already talking about an Indiana Jones Ultra 4K collection, where all five films, Raiders right through Dial of Destiny, will be in one collectible case, which, by the way, will which will look like the Dial of Destiny. You know, who wouldn't want to buy that if you're an indie fan and then, you know, you put it up on in front of your flat screen and never open it? By the way, speaking of Raiders, when we get back, Brian has an amazing story about mm. how the truck chase from that Steven Spielberg film actually got storyboarded. One quick Indiana Jones-related story before we turn things over to Mr. Gunn was reading my copy of Raiders, the making of Raiders of the Lost Ark to, to see if there was something I could share about the truck chase. And there's a passage in this book that has a surprise cameo by a sitcom star from the 1970s. So anybody who knows the Harrison Ford story knows that during those years where he was struggling as an actor, he had a day job. And his day job was he was a carpenter. As the story goes, he had been hired by Valerie Harper, the star of uh, Mary Tyler Moore and Rhoda. There we go. And he was doing some work at her house and fell off a ladder and broke his wrist. Oh. The wrist healed, but it was never the same. So, of course, now (laughs) when he gets Han Solo... It's like, oh, I'm holding a blaster. No big deal. All right, I just hold a blaster and, you know, somebody in in post, you know, does the light beam and I'm good. But then he gets Raiders. And Raiders, Indy wields a whip. And it was one of these things where it's like, oh, of course, I have to wield the whip with the wrist that I broke. And this suddenly starts to become really painful and so, you know, and, and uh, Glenn Randall, the, the stunt coordinator for Indy, you know, tried to show him, you know, well, the first they tried, well, can you whip with the other hand? And, oh, God, it looks terrible. No, you have to whip with your dominant hand. And so it's like, I'm sorry, this is what this character does. And they then began to try to do the whipping scenes early in the day, you know, and then they tried doing them at the tail end of the day to, to see if that made them any better. But the poor guy had to do this for all five films. And I just, I can't imagine 
being in his his 80s now and and doing that for Dial of Destiny. But when they did Raiders, uh, the storyboards for Raiders, you know, they obviously did the scenes. This is where Indy uses the whip. Sorry, Harrison. But Brian, uh, from your time in the entertainment industry, you have some stories to share about how the storyboards for, for Raiders were actually put together. Right. Just a little background. I met Bill Stout when I was the production assistant um, for the art department on uh, Masters of the Universe. So I learned all about storyboards. I learned all about design. I learned all about production design and building of the the sets. So the at least on Raiders, the only things that were really storyboarded were the action sequences and something that would cost a lot of money because they wanted to see it. And the director would come up and talk to the artist and he would say, this is what I have in mind. The artist would do it. And then when they would get on set, they would basically follow the storyboards. And um, Bill Stout, who was the production designer on this, you know, we always were talking about, and and he started storyboard work on The Hitcher. Mm-hmm. And then uh, he got a job at design uh, to be a production illustrator on Conan the Barbarian. Mm-hmm. And in that, when he was on there, on the, the show, mm-hmm. they were in the same office buildings as, at first it was... Spielberg was working on 1941, so oh, no. John Milius was going back and forth mm-hmm. to Conan, the mm-hmm. Barbarian, and then 1941, because he helped write the screenplay. Mm-hmm. So when Bill started his production, his his receptionist was Kathleen Kennedy. She was just a young receptionist, somebody that was just answering the phones mm-hmm. and for Bill and the art department. Mm-hmm. Then... Almost right away, she mm-hmm. became John Milius's assistant. Okay. And then she became Steven Spielberg's assistant. And now we know, you know, mm-hmm. now we know what she is. But it all started when she was just the mm-hmm. most competent person there. And mm-hmm. she just moved her way up. And they went to Spain to film Conan the Barbarian. And Bill gets a phone call. And it's Kathleen. And she says, Bill, we have an artist that's mm-hmm. working on um, uh, storyboards here. Steven doesn't like him. He thinks he's terrible. Mm-hmm. Can you do the truck sequence? Because Bill had read the script already, so he knew the film. Mm-hmm. Can you do the truck sequence for us? Mm-hmm. And Bill says, Kathleen, you know I'm in Spain. Mm-hmm. I can't do this, but mm-hmm. I have a friend mm-hmm who he's an artist in my studio mm-hmm. and he has worked at Hanna-Barbera on storyboards and he would be perfect. Mm-hmm. And that person was Dave Stevens. Dave, really? Yeah, it, it blowed my mind too. And if you look online, you can see some of Dave's mm-hmm. um, storyboards and they are exactly mm-hmm. what's up on the screen. And, wow. and Bill loved doing storyboards because mm-hmm. when he was first asked to do storyboards, he goes, sure, I'll do storyboards. It's mm-hmm. like directing on paper. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And a lot of directors will use the storyboards mm-hmm. because they make sense. And a lot of times the budget mm-hmm. is always made looking at the storyboards. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And remember, you know, when we're talking about Raiders, I mean, there's the famous story about 
because they overspent so much on 1941. Right. You know, the notion was, okay, we're going to do Raiders on a budget. So, I mean, the big scenes, the big expensive stuff was boarded within an inch of its life. So that's what I always love about the scene where Indy goes to the archaeological dig and you get the suggestion of a giant dig site. But if you're right. actually looking at it, it's not that big. But, you know, it's just it's just enough to suggest that it's a massive dig. It goes and, on forever, yeah. Yeah, and, and then the whole notion of they're digging in the wrong spot. But anyway, I'm sorry, I disrupted you. We were talking about Dave. But the way that Dave got, um, he connected with Bill is Dave was one of the original people at Comic-Con. He wasn't... He didn't put it together, but he was, he lived in San Diego. He loved comics. So he would just hang out with people and he got to know all the artists. He had never had any kind of art school or anything. Wow. All his stuff was pure mm -hmm. natural talent. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And he was a good friend of Bill and Bill got him um, several jobs. One was working on Tarzan and the Star Wars comic strip. He oh, would just do the inks mm -hmm. okay. for that. Um, Bill originally did the mm -hmm. Star Wars or uh, Tarzan. Mm -hmm. And then when he had to go on to other things, Dave came in. Dave worked with Doug Wiley. I think he worked with him at Hanna-Barbera. Okay. They worked on, believe it or not, the Godzilla Power Hour. Oh, <laughs> Ted Cassidy. Yep. <laughs> okay. And, and yeah. Super Friends. I would love to see some of his storyboards oh, for Super Friends. That would have been killer. Especially the monkey. Yep, yep. And then he was working on the Rocketeer at Bill's studio when um, Kathleen gave him a, a call. And then he started working on the truck scenes. And like I said... It's almost exactly the way. And and when you look at him too, mm -hmm. Dave was a, a perfectionist mm -hmm. and he just, he had style. He knew exactly what he was doing. If you see mm -hmm. Rocketeer, you can, you know what I'm talking about. Oh, it yeah. reads like a movie. I no, mean, no, no. they, no. Sh they could have used his mm -hmm. comic book mm -hmm. for the movie. They're that detailed. And then when we were at Comic-Con, Bill's booth was always next to Dave and Dave and I would always become... Comic-Con friends, because I would help him set up his booth. I'd, you know, whenever he was leaving, you know, if he went on a break, I'd sit behind this booth. Mm -hmm. He was, he was one of the most fascinating, incredibly, incredible people you'll ever meet. And one of my best friends I've met because of him, mm -hmm. um, Rebecca, mm -hmm. and uh, he was one of her, his models. Mm -hmm. And we kind of started talking mm -hmm. Harry Potter and we got to be friends mm -hmm. and it was just fun watching. Dave would always have a booth babe mm -hmm. and he would always <laughs> have a girl. And a lot of times they looked like Betty Page. Thank you. I did. You answered my question without me having to answer the question. Or ask and the question. they would sit there oh. and the, and you would see the same guys. They would like circle the booth like sharks and they they go out of sight for about two three minutes, and then they'd come back, and it was really fun. And and Dave was just he had a great sense of humor. And one year he wore a pirate shirt. Oh, and it was and everybody made fun of him mm -hmm. because it was you know he was in a pirate phase. But the thing about our booths, mm -hmm. when our booths were together, there was. Um, a lot of people who were friends. One mm -hmm. one guy, um, John Kukaloris, mm -hmm. he sold uh, merchandise mm -hmm. and like you know old stuff. Another guy sold old books, 
And they were all this group that was, um, you know, and that Dave was part of. And we all hung out. We all went to dinner with each other. It was it was really a wild thing. It was really great, especially the day that Frank Frazetta came to town. Shifting now to a topic we we, we covered on uh, our, our last show this, this month, Captain EO. Uh, it turns out you also know people who, who worked <laughs> on that project as well. Yeah. Um, at the time in that area, uh, at Masters of the Universe was shot at the Culver Studios, which mm-hmm. was known as the Laird Studios, which is now known as Amazon Studios. Okay. And it was the original Thomas Inch Studios. Mm-hmm. And that, and then RKO bought it after Thomas Inch died, mm-hmm. and that's where Citizen Kane got uh, King Kong, Gone with the Wind. That's where that was filmed. Wow! Yeah, at the studio. As a matter of fact, the offices, which mm-hmm. is an antebellum uh, mansion mm-hmm. front, was used as I don't know if it was used as Terra. But it was used as one of the mansions in um, Gone with the Wind. Okay. Got it. I know what you're talking about. So my friend mm-hmm. uh, Ed Eith, who mm-hmm. is uh, known to a lot of people, he, he worked on Happy Time Murders. Mm-hmm. He was um, one of the last people to see uh, Mr. Jim Henson alive. He walked down the hallway and he said mm-hmm. to Jim, you don't look good. Are you okay? And he goes, mm-hmm. yeah, I just have a cold. Mm-hmm. And then two days later, he was in the hospital. Mm-hmm. And he designed a lot of um, of the newer mm-hmm. uh, Muppets. Uh, do you remember Spam Hamberson? Oh, yes. Yes. In fact, Spamela Anderson. Yes. Spamela uh, Ander- Hamberson. Yeah. I, I, in fact, let me do the Disney connection here. Leslie Carrera was hired to do Spamela Anderson yes. for Muppets Tonight. And oh. uh, she was an original member of the cast of the Adventurers Club at Walt Disney World. In fact, she used to do a wonderful maid character called Dusty Cabinets. And <laughs> Leslie, for a time, everybody agreed Leslie was brilliant, but they could never figure out what to do with her. And and she was frustrated working with the folks at Henson, especially in on Muppets Tonight, she used to talk about uh, her time there, about how it was kind of like being in the backyard and the boys had pulled up the the ladder to the treehouse and you stood at the bottom and yelled at them. You know, it's like, I want to play too. And said, you know, but, you know, I did what I could with Spamela Anderson, but it took another 20 years, but she finally got a Muppet character. Uh, in fact, she was a Sesame Street Muppet that broke through and became an enormous success, and that's Abby Cadabby, the fairy in training. That's Leslie, and she finally got her very own breakout Muppet character with plush, and every year is part of the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade and that sort of thing. So it's been so wonderful to watch Leslie finally have her success but again, I, I remember when she left Disney to go work for Henson and do Spamela and just was so frustrated because it's like, this is my dream job and they won't let me up in the treehouse. So <laughs> anyway, you were saying. Well, yeah. So um, Ed has worked on that. He worked on Back to the Future 2 mm-hmm. and he was responsible for developing the future, for designing the future. Everything oh. that that Bill, that he came up with, mm-hmm. like remember the, um, the dehydrated pizza? Okay, okay. He figured out how to do that. 
You oh. would put the little pizza thing in it. Mm-hmm. You'd close it. Somebody behind would mm-hmm. switch the pizza, mm-hmm. and then you open it, and there it was. Wow. Okay. So he would come up with that stuff. Well, anyways, mm-hmm. he worked on Flight of the Navigator. Mm-hmm. He was the designer on that with Randall Kleiser. And Randall was the director. And Randall was walking around showing him Culver Studios, and they ran into Rusty Lemonarda. Oh, yeah, okay. He's part of Michael Jackson's posse. There we go, okay. And he wrote and mm-hmm. produced mm-hmm. Captain EO. That he did. Mm-hmm. So Captain EO was taking two st- sound stages, mm-hmm. and Ed, being the um, the entrepreneur he is, mm-hmm. slips Rusty his card and say, listen, if you need anything, give me mm-hmm. a call. Mm-hmm. That night, mm-hmm. Rusty gave him a call and said, can you do storyboards? Mm-hmm. And Ed said, sure, I can do storyboards, having never done storyboards in ah. his life. <laughs> uh, I love how this industry works. Get so over. there he Fake was. Fake it till he, you make it. Okay. He yeah. got the script. They delivered the script to his house. He read the script, and he started doing this storyboards. And I think they needed them in a couple days. Okay. And okay. he was working on it, and he got bored. Mm-hmm. And so he drew this picture of this uh, bikini girl on a mm-hmm. beach and she's mm-hmm. rubbing lotion on herself and he goes cut to mm-hmm. a girl on a beach is why you know soaking up the sun and da 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 mm-hmm. and then you turn the page and you're back to the action mm-hmm. so he just did that you know just because he was losing his mind so two days later he gets a phone call from Rusty and he goes uh Ed uh we are casting the girl on the beach would you like to come and mm-hmm. uh sit in on this mm-hmm. so um they all got the joke. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, he also was probably responsible for um, breaking the cameras. Oh, yes. We told this story on <laughs> on the last show. But please explain about the well, shot from the, the, this 3D movie that, that supposedly broke the cameras. The only way mm-hmm. Ed said, um, I actually just asked him this, mm-hmm. and he goes, he did this high shot and mm-hmm. i think it's the shot where um you're behind the queen mm-hmm. and you see everybody and the pov and this is what ed said about this he goes the pov from that angle mm-hmm. was the best shot to tell the story at that moment clearly francis ford coppola agreed okay and not only did he agree agree he might have said who is this ed eith and why is he having me bring these cameras on the scaffold <laughs> oh, oh God! So Ed went on to work um, in Hollywood mm-hmm. for a long time. He's now teaching in, uh, I believe, North Carolina at mm-hmm. the Institute of Art. Mm-hmm. And um, like I said, he he designed uh, Spamula Hamberson, mm-hmm. uh, the fly mm-hmm. in the Kermit's bio. Okay, and also my favorite character, Johnny Flama. Oh, Johnny Fiamma, yes. Fiamma, um, not yeah. Fiamma, Fiamma, I mean, yeah. The, the Sinatra-esque, what, what's his ape flunky called? I forget what the monkey's called. I think he might have designed the monkey, too. Okay. But, um, yeah, so uh, he was a, a big part of Henson for a while, and he direct, he designed all the, the weird characters in um, Happy Time Murders. Have you seen that? I have, movie? I yeah. have. So, yeah, he works with Brian a lot. And Brian and Lisa, they always have him on a Rolodex. If they need something, like just a quick sketch, they'll give him a call. 
mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. um you know the hensons believe in family and he he was part of the family i don't know absolutely um, you know that and you know there's a consistent look and style that deliberately became yes because of that one thing they did okay most directors like to use storyboards for mm-hmm. big action sequences but william friedkin on mm-hmm. to live and die in la mm-hmm. did not use storyboards for the car chase sequence the stunt coordinator used hot wheels mm-hmm. oh god <laughs> so wow. he basically had the hot wheels and he showed mm-hmm. what would happen with the hot wheels jeez did they do the same thing with french connection no, French Connection wasn't supposed to be the way it was. Mm-hmm. French Connection was shot without any permits. Mm-hmm. Oh, was was shot through the streets. Um, there was a time where um, the stuntmen missed a cue and mm-hmm. they got in that car crash. You see it in there, oh. and Freakin got mad, but he goes, "Just keep on going." Mm-hmm. Um, Freakin des- um, designed what he came up with, nobody had ever come up before, mm-hmm. to build the suspense. Mm-hmm. He would cut to the foot going from the gas pedal to the brake. And oh. you would be in the car with them. Mm-hmm. And yes, Bullet is possibly mm-hmm. one of the best chasings ever mm-hmm. at the time, but he really upped the ante with French Connection. I just, I, I literally just rewatched that chasing within like the last month. And it just, it, it's the super grubby version right of new york city I, you know it's a welcome to the 1970s but it, it, it it's brilliantly done anyway but before we close here brian uh wanted to share something that he and his bride uh <laughs> had recently watched on their enormous flat screen that actually has a tie to star wars andor Yes, it's a new series called Bodies, mm-hmm. and it's on Netflix, and it just started on Friday, and it's an eight-episode, really bizarre story that takes place in four different time zones, mm-hmm. 1890, 1941, 2023, and 2053. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm not giving anything away, because you should watch it. Mm-hmm. I've uh, seen... Five episodes so far. We're going to watch the next three once I get off this um, phone <laughs> call. Okay. And um, who is in it is mm. Kyle Solar, who played Cyril Karn in Andor. And I did not notice him right away. Uh, if you mm. remember when Andor came out, he did a lot of interviews mm-hmm. and he had that big bushy beard. Yep. That's why. And he plays the detective in 1890. Mm -hmm. And talking about an actor who doesn't play to casting, he is the only American in it, and he has a perfect British accent. It's supposed to take place in Whitechapel. Mm -hmm. And and uh, it's two years after Mm -hmm. Jack the Ripper. And he is the detective who's trying to discover why this naked body ended up in this one place. Wow. No, I've been hearing great things about Bodies. Yeah, it's yeah. nothing but good. And he is, well, we love him in Andor, but he is so good in this. And I think that his storyline is the best. I think it's um, the 1890 is possibly the best storyline. And he really is showing that he is, um, you know, he's up there he's one of the our great actors right now but yeah it was it's really nice to see it's really cool to see um it will keep you guessing till the very very end that's the thing i'm I'm trying to go in clean so shut up yeah i'll shut up all i've heard is 
it's a time travel murder mystery where the only thing in the four different periods is have in common is this naked female body. And no, male, male body. Male body. Okay. Yeah. And it's just sort of like, it sounds like an ingenious premise. Can't wait to watch it. But anyway, th those were all great stories. Thank you. That, 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 oh, that was yeah. good fun. All right. Well, again, if you enjoyed that, folks, Brian and I will be back in two weeks' time. Uh, in the meantime, Brian, where can folks find you on social media? Well, I'm I'm spending my time on Instagram, and I'm just throwing things up there that mm -hmm. are fun. Like um, I discovered uh, Mountain Dew has a spooky drink out, so I have a I talk about that and other things. Um, it's um, B T Gone G A U G H A N. Okay, so I'm there. Say hi to me, and you know, there you go. Okay, and well, if. Uh, social media wise, uh, I'm still on Twitter or X or whatever they call it. Likewise, Instagram as Jim Hill Media over on Facebook is Jim Hill Media News. Also got a couple other podcasts here. We wouldn't mind if you check them out. Uh, we got, of course, Disney Dish, which I do with Lentesta. Also fine tuning with Drew Taylor. We just recorded a brand new episode with him earlier this afternoon. And by the way, Mr. Taylor also has Light the Fuse, the official Mission Impossible podcast, which he does with Charles Hood. Uh, we also have Marvelous Disney, which I do with Aaron Adams. And he, in turn, has his own Patreon project, 32nd Street, which is about Madison Avenue and everything that goes on in advertising. Oh, uh, speaking of Patreon, uh, Disney Unpacked. The video project that I'm doing with Len Test and Jim Shule, uh, which takes you behind the scenes on many of your favorite attractions at the Disney parks, that's finally launched on Patreon. Our very first episode about uh, the Magic Carpets of Aladdin debuted earlier this month. But the second episode of the series, which is about Crush's Coaster, the first ever, and to this day, the only spinning roller coaster at a Disney theme park, uh, hmm. that goes live on November 5th. So if you want to get a taste of what we're up to, check out the Disney Unpacked uh, YouTube channels. We have some samples of the, the shows there, and uh, there's some fun stuff. If you could do Brian and I a favor, if you get out over, head over to Apple Podcasts, and rate and recommend the show you're listening to right now, looking at Lucasfilm. Uh, that would be great. Uh, and I think that's going to do it for this week. So Brian and I will be back in two weeks' time, first week of November. Till then, take care.